All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuckeristas? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast, WTF. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's called WTF. That's a brain fart, brain skid, bubble in my head. Man, WTF. Yeah, I'd like to open the show in a couple ways. First, by uh, quoting myself when I almost just spilled my iced tea on my computer keyboard. You ready? Here's what that sounded like. Oh, God! And then I caught it. Oh, God! Yeah, right out loud to myself right here. And I caught it. A small victory. And another thing I'd like to say, today on the show, Adam Caton Holland is here. Uh, He's going to be talking about his new book, Tragedy Plus Time. It's a heavy book, but it's written with a lot of heart and a lot of humor. It's about the um, the death of his sister uh, by her own hand. Uh, it deals with grief. It deals with moving through grief. It deals with family, and and it's done uh, with a uh, yeah, like it's it's a good book. And he's a he's a, a good uh, a good guy, and it was a great talk. But also it, along those lines, in terms of things that are out of control, feeling grief, feeling uh, impending darkness, sadness. Uh, all of it, I would like to reach out to all of my fans and people who listen in the Carolinas and Virginia and Washington, D.C., you know, if it gets up that high, uh, this hurricane is, is seems like it's going to be a fucking heinous, horrendous nightmare. Uh, I, I refuse to use the Trumpian term tremendous. Doesn't seem correct, uh, but uh, it does seem like it's going to be uh, a, a quite an ordeal. And uh, I just wanted to say hello, and uh, we're thinking about you, and that uh, I hope you have my podcast with you, not on any sort of business level, just that it might be a way to uh, while away the time as the rain pounds down. I hope you're safe. I hope you've uh, done the right thing and and, uh, left the centers of the storm. And uh, again, I I, I hope that uh, I can offer some solace uh, some comfort, uh, even if it's just by having conversations that you can listen to. And I know that sometimes um, my voice, coupled with pounding rain on a ceiling, uh, it has a certain effect to it. It's a, uh, you know, I, I do I do record some of my monologues specifically to be to be heard uh, with the backdrop of pounding rain that could actually maybe take your ceiling out. So. So this is one of them. So it should be coupling nicely. And uh, I hope you got enough food. I hope you got enough uh, energy in terms of uh, if you need a generator. I hope that's available. And I hope your family's safe. And, that, and that's all. And I hope we can ride this out. And uh, without politicizing it, I'd like to say that uh, the size and scope of these storms and the time in between them are indicative of a global warming trend. That is causing extreme climate change and extreme weather. So you can blame God. You can blame coincidence. But we can also blame ourselves a little bit and then take it a step further and go ahead and blame uh, President. Fuck you. Go fuck yourself. Fuck it all. That's uh, that's his three names for accelerating it by deregulating and pulling out of all agreements. Now, again, I didn't want to politicize it, but uh, that being said, I hope you're well. I, 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 I hope I can lighten you up a little bit. Maybe it's not even happened yet. I mean, it's Thursday. I'm recording this Wednesday. I'm just uh, just putting it out there. 
It's, it's just like it's it's it all becomes sort of horrendous and kind of weighty. And I was thinking about this today in talking to Adam Caden Holland and also in um, just knowing that, you know, I talked to my father yesterday that my my parents are still alive and they're getting old. And my cat LaFonda has got a growth on her mouth. I don't know what that is. I got to take her in tomorrow. And it's just that this these parts of life dealing with tragedy, dealing with acts of nature that are completely devastating and out of our control is, is something that we all have to do to some degree. And obviously we all have to deal with, uh, with grief and with uh, people passing. And I've been fortunate that I haven't quite had to deal with that yet uh, in terms of my parents. And then when my cat gets something on her face, it just, it hits me that I might be fairly immature about, you know, how I see it. I mean, I know I'm going to die, but, uh, I haven't processed it in that way, and it's. Uh, but I think we're built for it. I think we're built to uh, to take it. I think we're built to move through it. I think we're built to uh, to help others through it, and uh, I think that's the right way to be. What am I talking about? Why am I talking like this? Well, I got this email that just leveled me, and um, it was about my Paul McCartney episode. It's beautiful. It is uh, a testament to the human spirit. It is uplifting and touching in its own way, but it's 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 real, and a lot of us are dealing with real stuff every day. And I don't know that I speak to you that that often because I try to avoid that. But this is an episode that kind of deals with a lot of that, so it might be it might be relevant and 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 also human. And I should talk about it. I'm going to read this to you. It's going to hurt a little bit, but it is beautiful. And then, uh, you know, I'll do something more lighthearted after in relation to my uh, water kettle conversation that seems to have resonated with quite a, quite a few people. But do brace yourself a little bit. It is emotional and, uh, and it is uh, uplifting. The subject line, Paul McCartney podcast for my late wife. Thank you. Dear Mark. I've been listening to your podcast from almost the beginning. I think I like them mostly because you and so many of your guests are and live in a world that's so completely different from mine. After your interviews with Keith Richards and Mick Jagger a while ago, I was always hoping you would be able to get either Paul or Ringo on the podcast because the Beatles were by far my late wife's favorite. Like for many of your musical guests, their performance on the Ed Sullivan show was one of her all-time favorite memories. She had been suffering from severe depression for a long time and was unfortunately diagnosed with a stage four brain tumor earlier this year. After deciding not to get treatment, she passed away in May. The interview with Sir Paul would have made her day, and it actually did in a way. Instead of just listening to it during my workout or drive to work, I went to the cemetery and listened to it with her in spirit at her graveside. I was able to spend a wonderful hour with her and you and Sir Paul. Thank you, Felix. Oh. Well, you know, that's it, man. You know, that is that is the human spirit right there to be able to sort of process grief, compartmentalize it, move on into your life, and then still sort of take that time to 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 share and have have memories that are that are good and, and make new ones in your heart and in your mind with uh with people that that have uh that have passed or are no longer 
with you or with us. So I hope that uh, was beautiful and not too um, too heavy. I, I just, it really got me. So moving on, I do want to, uh, I, I do want to start talking a, a bit about, um, you know, if you believe in your heart that change is possible and that uh, we can move through this uh, dumpster fire that we're in, uh, you know, start thinking about, you know, who your candidates are, how you want to help out and getting out there and, uh, you know, mobilizing uh, to get people to vote in these midterms that are coming up. They're important. And also to, uh, you know, to really reflect on, you know, the nature of where the country is a little bit, right? A little bit, a little bit. You know, we have uh, an administration that, uh, uh, you know, tortures children as a warning to uh, families who are in uh, desperate need for a different life. And they thought one in America was possible because the America that once was uh, was a uh, hopeful place. We no longer live in a hopeful place in, on an administrative level. And uh, it'd be nice if we got back to that. Look, I'm not a huge believer in uh, in hope in general. You know, I, I do see hope as the <laughs> the uh, eternal companion of denial in some ways. But sometimes it's necessary to get through. And uh, we got to find some. And some of that looks like it's going to manifest itself in these November elections. And all we can do is hope the voting works. But you can get out there and make it undeniable. So those numbers can't lie. So uh, do that, would you? Not trying to be heavy-handed, just concerned. So the kettle conversation, let's continue that. I talked to you about uh, my, my ridiculous, clown-like, righteous indignation about a hotel I stayed at not having a kettle. And by the way, I heard from the woman, if you listened to the last show, the pregnant woman who was there when I came back with the kettle, and I wrote back, uh, I'm sorry if I was uh, a bit cranky. Uh, it was nice meeting you. I said something like that. She goes, no, you were great. It was nice talking to you. And again, that Midwestern politeness, but I think it's genuine. But uh, I was a dick. Not really to her, but just I was, I was vibing. I was, uh, I was exuding uh, dickishness. So uh, I'm, I'm glad that uh, it didn't offend her. So here's what I was going to tell you about the kettle thing. I got, I got a Twitter, someone on Twitter, which I do look at occasionally, but I do not tweet much. A fan uh, suggested this travel tea kettle, which I bought. It looks like it's, it's a little bulkier than, than something incredibly portable, but it does look like it'll do the thing. It's like a little seven-cup tea kettle that, that I'm, I, I will bring. I'm thinking about calling ahead now since I am fully into the ritual of tea making uh, because that's my thing now. That's what gets me going. But here's the downside of hotel kettles. Now, look, I can't, you know, validate this information entirely, but I got this email, hotel kettles uh, dash no exclamation point in caps. Mark, you might want to reconsider your hotel tea strategy. At times, I travel a lot for business, especially to Asia, where virtually every hotel room has a device to boil water. For a couple of years, I carried uh, an AeroPress, a fantastic lightweight coffee, compact coffee maker, until I saw this. And he, he posted, he, he put a link to an article, and I will read you the headline. I will read you the clickbait, I guess, but I don't know, it's... Uh, some hotel guests boil their underwear in the kettles to clean them. 
you're going to think twice about making yourself a cuppa at the hotel after knowing what some hotel guests do with it. Wow. Didn't need to know that. And it goes on to say that, uh, you know, someone tweeted to see if this is a thing. And it turns out it might be a thing. And then it talks about how it's not great, you know, bacterially, obviously. Uh, I don't know how widespread this is. And I, I don't really want to give anybody any ideas. But this is the two sides of this is that I, I got a warning about uh, boiling water and what may have been just a, uh, a fecal urinary soup that was in there before. And, uh, and then I got uh, the heads up to a travel device. And I'm going with uh, the latter option. Okay. Just a heads up. I'll probably still use the kettle in the room. So Adam Caden Holland is a guy that I've met uh, met in Denver years ago. He middled for me once. I actually thought at the beginning, at the outset of this uh, conversation, that I may have had some tension with him, but we didn't. And his book uh, is uh, really a lovely book and a heavy book, but uh, but a great book, a human book. And uh, his, it's called Tragedy Plus Time. It's available wherever you get books. You can also get his comedy album. Adam Caton Holland performs his signature bits on Comedy Central Records. And uh, this was a nice conversation about a lot of things, about comedy, about uh, loss, about uh, just how sometimes people do fucking incomprehensible things. And, uh, and some of that involves um, taking their own life. So this is me and Adam Caton Holland. Don't be afraid of it. It's a very good conversation. So wait, you still live in Denver? I do. Yeah, I just come out here um, when we shoot for production and for, the writing of it. Of for those of who can't? Yeah, so the past three summers I've lived in L.A., but this summer is the first one where I'm back home. Why is that? Because uh, we're in flux. We don't know what's going to happen with the show. comes out in uh, the fall, so right. we'll see if we get season four or not. Oh, so you already shot the season three. We shot it last summer, and they, we've just been sitting on it for a while. Really? Yeah, which what? sucks. What is it? Deter- what determines that on an outlet like True TV? According to them, it's AT and T acquiring Turner has sort of slowed the process. Oh yeah, but you, you know. don't buy it. <laughs> what would you do? What would you think to that? Well, yeah, what, what Just sounds like the do? show keeps getting pushed back. In my uh, my what estimation, what can you do? I mean, right. you know, it's like I, I I don't know what they. There doesn't seem to be any real rules to anything. Well, when people are talking to you about Turner and AT and T. You're like, yeah, I don't think those who can't is really a high priority in those conversations. Well, maybe the people uh, uh, who are actually in charge of your situation are worried about their jobs. I think that might be it. And according to them, they're saying they wanted to have an impressive you know, quarter three and quarter right. four to show their new corporate overlords. So they were yeah. pushing us back. But Oh, so they're saying they're, you're, they're, they're holding. They're saying it's a good thing, Mark. Right. They're holding out <laughs> yeah. because they want to really wow the new guy. Forget about it. Nothing like a year-old comedy, just properly aged <laughs> and baked. I don't think I, like, I can't remember. Do you remember when you middled for me? Uh, yes, I do, at Comedy Works. No, I know, but like, how long ago was that? <sighs> I don't know, five, six years ago. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember, and then I remember, I can't remember, like, I was trying to figure it out if we, uh, if we ever had an issue. I don't and think I, we did, but I think I know what might have sort of uh I think you wrote something is that possible here's that- my first interaction with you it was a nice interaction <laughs> I I uh I was a journalist and I interviewed Hedberg right and so on the anniversary of his death I think it was a five-year anniversary I put out this 20-minute 
audio recording right. where I was a really green open micer and interviewing him and he was very generous. Right. And, and then you, I didn't know you, you retweeted that and like crashed my website because oh, I was really? not ready for that traffic. Right. And so you're like, hey, bud, crash your website. Like might want to get that up and running. <laughs> um, but I appreciated the retweet. Yeah. It was cool. And then I did a comedy festival in Denver. Yeah. And I still do it, the High Plains Comedy Festival. Oh, that's okay. Now it's coming together. So I, wait, let me just try to remember. Okay. I, I went out to that festival. You did. I got an email from Comedy Works. You were at Comedy Works that weekend. Oh, okay. And it was I the first it. weekend of my festival. Right. And somehow it came down from on high that Marin was pissed there was an indie comedy festival going on in yeah. town the weekend he's in town right. at the club. So we were like, well, does he want to come be a part of it? And yeah. so we kind of promote your shows oh that's right and yeah. you stopped in on my podcast right which i no longer do the live podcast which was a carbon copy of your live podcasts <laughs> and you were like yeah this looks familiar man <laughs> that wasn't it was that that but i don't feel like i left thinking you were shitty or anything no i, th- no. I think we're on good terms good. you good. uh you were very nice it was nice <laughs> you'd come over you were cool you gave me the appropriate amount of shit it was great okay, all right. it was so fun we, so we resolved it totally in real time totally so you grew up there. So how long is it? How long have you been doing comedy now? Fourteen years, man. It has been that long. Yeah, you know, full time since two thousand nine. I got yeah. laid off from that journalism job. What was it? You wrote for the like the weekly. Yeah, of, like of the alt. Sort? It's called right. Westward. It's yeah. the, the alt weekly. And why would they lay you off? You were like, uh, you know, uh, you're a good writer. <laughs> I don't know. Media's dying. Oh, no, right. It's <laughs> yeah. a hard. Yeah, it's a it's a hard copy paper. And, and I think it, also there were like journalists above me who were like legit journalists that had kids and you know long form journalism was their dream and my editor knew I was out doing comedy every night I wanted that more so uh-huh. I, think, I think it was kind of like cut the 29 year old kid or the 50 year old guy who's been here for 30 years 30 years they were some guys were there oh yeah there's some diehard journalists that have been there there's some good writing out of that paper but like in Denver like I remember I grew up in New Mexico, so I feel like That's we're right. neighbors somehow. Yeah, our states touch. Yeah, I feel like, you know, I grew up in Albuquerque. We I used to drive up occasionally to Mile High Stadium yeah. to see the big concerts, the like the old Mile High where they still had the horse on top. Oh, yeah, and those, like, they would shake. That stadium yeah. was, what, what concerts did you see there? I saw Sunday Jam 2. I think it was, like, UFO, The Cars, Whoa. Heart, The Rockets, and for some reason, I think it might have been Ted Nugent. It was a big deal. Then I saw Richie Blackmore's Rainbow up there once, and I saw because uh, my buddy Dave wanted to see him. I can't remember what club it was at, but I know that John Cougar was opening for them. Wow, that's and great. I thought they were great. I didn't. I wasn't a Rainbow fan, so I was very. It was before he was John Cougar Mellencamp. Was my like love, first my wife record. loves Mellencamp. She's, really? Oh my, she loves him, and I, I knew him cursory you know i knew a little bit but she's right. she's got every record she's I've, a full Mellencamp fan oh she loves him yeah. still so yeah i heard i think her dad listened to it a lot growing up with her but she loves Mellencamp. oh yeah it's passed down yeah Mellencamp. it really is yeah. no one no one finds it on their own no, Mellencamp springs <laughs> eternal i wouldn't think somebody of your generation would find it on their own i guess they grew up with it yeah yeah she's an old soul i was always you know springsteen so it's like the springsteen Mellencamp debate and i'm always there's like, a debate I mean, between us, <laughs> Oft, often over bot- bottles of wine and YouTube videos. I guess they're like, I could see that later in Mellencamp's career, he kind of took on that, uh, the kind of spokesperson for the downtrodden right. role. Working class hero. Yeah, right, yeah. But there is no debate. It's Springsteen, come on. Yeah, man. I mean, Springsteen's great. But Denver, like, so you were born in Denver? Born in Denver, raised there. I went to college out east, lived in Chicago and New York, lived in Spain, and then I went back to Denver. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a nice city. It's a little hard to breathe, and, and people get easily drunk there. Yeah, that's for sure, <laughs> especially ones that go to comedy shows. That downtown area, man, sometimes it's like, what is fucking happening? When they drop a comic in there, I'm like, somebody pick this comic up and take him elsewhere, because this neighborhood is just, it's a shit show. It's like pop collar bros. You can hear the clap of vomit at two, around 2 p.m. or 2 a.m. Yeah. But it's like Glasgow some nights. It's like just fucking puke and crazies all over the place. It's ridiculous. Denver party's way too hard. Well, I mean, also, like, I went to... Uh, G- Doug Benson had a show uh, one weekend when I was there, and they had to call the ambulance. Really? Yeah, someone went down somehow. And all- now they got the legal weed first, like, one yeah. of the first, and it's like, that's all that town needed. Well, it's like everybody thinks Denver's a pot city now, and I'm just nostalgic for the days. It's like, no, we're just drunks, man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this new pot wave. But what? It, like, so, like, I got the book, you know, and I and I've gone through a, a bit of it, and it's very sad and and hard. Yeah, um, tragedy plus time, a tragic comic memoir that you wrote here. Now, before we get into the the, the subject of it, what I mean, how did you? Did, who puts? Who's putting this book out? Uh, Simon and Schuster. Oh, so it's like a big deal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's an imprint on of them, Touchstone, yeah, but right. it's under uh, under Simon and Schuster. And now, when did your sister uh, commit suicide? Six years ago, like a week ago. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Julys are always really hard because her birthday was July twenty third, and then her death day is July thirty first. So Julys suck, man. Wow. Yeah. How, and how old was she? She was twenty eight. Yeah. yeah, I don't. It's like I can't imagine the you know what it must be like. Though I did grow up with a depressive. Yeah, your um, father, right? Yeah, yeah. And and like what when you were growing up? I mean, did you know you had it as well? Yeah, in college it was got to its worst. Um, but like, what? Where in the family were you able to track it? Yeah, I mean, I'm learning a lot more about this. I think most families have some yeah. mental illness in their lineage, right? Um, you know, there's a chapter in there where Lydia sort of first broke down and my buddy was like, well, is there a history of mental illness in your family? And I was like, oh yeah, they're totally. And my dad's sister, you know, was in and out of mental institutions. They grew, he grew up out here in LA and, you know, fucked up electroshock stuff in, really? in the sixties and, and she didn't commit suicide, but she had a pretty upsetting life and you know a lot of pills and so th- that was my dad's sister and on my mom's side there was you know a cousin who killed himself and you go further back there's there's numerous mentally ill people on both, both wow. sides of the so your dad grew up here yeah is his family here they're all dead uh he had an interesting his dad was an art dealer out here like a hot shit beverly who? hills art dealer his What's name he? was milton holland oh yeah and he was like, I mean, he had lots of famous celebs. They, my my dad inherited a lot of his art, so we got we got great art. Oh, really? I, it, Milton died when I was three, but I really wish I could have had this Beverly Hills art dealer grandpa to bomb around with. Wow! So, uh, so he was like, he grew up in Beverly Hills. Yeah, he grew up in uh, where's OJ Brentwood? Brentwood, yeah, yeah. He grew up out there. But my dad's a big hippie. He's a civil rights lawyer, so he, still, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he kind of, you know, the sixties little fire under his ass and. He went and got a law degree and, and kind of left L.A. with his middle finger up and joined legal aid, which sent, you know, basically law for poor people. And they sent him to Denver. And wow. then he just set up a firm there. And he does all, my sister works with him as well. They do ridiculous stuff. Well, in he's, the book, you talk about uh, how he was down in Guantanamo. Yeah, he's gotten two two people out of Guantanamo. So he's he, was, like, he was in Guantanamo when Lydia died. Yeah. Yeah. So he's, he's sort of a big shot, big shot. He is, but he's a big shot. You know, he's it, he's a 
crusader for the side of right. Yeah. Big big in the no, uh, no, it's Americans with Disabilities Act. Like my dad's, he's great. And how's he feeling now? About, <laughs> you know, he's fired up. He's 72, so I don't think he's got the fight he had in him when he was a young man. Uh-huh. But, you know, he's, he's so, like we all that feel. The same energy, uh, isn't that the same age as our... Our our garbage fire president. It is the same age. <laughs> he seems pretty fired up. He does. It maybe. Well, I guess my dad should kind of raise his <laughs> level of vitriol. But he's still working, and what? Uh, he is still working. And your sister is just part of the firm. Your yep, is, she's your been folded sister? in. She's a partner. Yeah, Anna. So all right. So you're growing up, and when does it start manifesting itself? In myself or in Lydia? Well, I mean, it seems like yeah. I mean, yeah. I guess Lydia because. Uh, like, it seems like if you all had it, someone must have known it, but your dad doesn't. No. Well, here's the thing, and I think you could probably relate to this. We were all dark. All three of us were dark kids. We have dark sense of humor. Morbid sense of humor, yeah. Morbid sense. And like any sort of smart kid, you, t- you tend to fetishize the twisted genius. You yeah. know, we like Elliot Smith. Yeah, that's true. That's we, true, yeah. You know, we like Kurt Cobain, Vincent Van Gogh. Yeah, no, yeah, all, right. All my favorite artists killed themselves right and and you're sort of i don't know there's a there's an urge to romanticize that and, yeah, until it, it hits you in the face i guess that's true that it's not it's not everybody that thinks that you, you, you know because i have the same thing and my brother who also is a, uh like a bit of a depressive as well like the morbid sort of self-deprecating kind of um gallows humor like that you think is like in you know i'm i'm the same as you that you know, when I started doing comedy, that was the area that you wanted to mine because it was shocking and it was a little disturbing. But if you listen back on some of that, do you ever find like, that's sort of sad? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's like, I, I had a line, I don't know if it was in the book proposal, but you know, we had a really ideal upbringing and, yeah. and there wasn't any darkness. So we almost had to like seek it out. Yeah. And uh, what a privileged place to be at, to go try to find your anguish. Right. And I remember there was a line in the book proposal where Lydia would have said to me after this, like, congratulations, I just made your art worth a shit. Yeah. And then I was like, you know, Lydia would have laughed at that. Right. Line. Right. Yeah. That's how our senses of humor were. So for any of us to sort of go a little further and deeper, I don't think was all that surprising or all that, big of a red flag because right. we lived there well i mean it, like what like in in terms because i try to think about it in, in my own life because i don't know that i'm depressive i don't i i can't identify it sometimes uh, you know i know that you know, i'm anxious and i'm yeah. I, and i'm full of dread and uh, you know I'm, I'm aggravated all the time but yeah. my 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 humor is sort of shifted i believe but there is a sort of sense of um like an, an, an entitled self-pity to it. Totally. And I mean, you and I know the trope of the fucked up dark comedian. Right. How many times, like before this happened, uh, somebody interviewed me one time and they're like, you're so normal. You come from such a good family. Like, how are you funny? Yeah. And I always resented that. It's right. Because like, I'm funny, man. Because yeah. I'm sensitive. I'm yeah. sorry. I'm not fighting some divorce or something, you know, like yeah, sensitivity is, is sensitivity part of it. Is yeah. part of it. Um, so, so we admire those comics that go to that place whether it's false or not. But it's weird. Who are they really? Because like, I, I mean, I think of, I know those comics kind of, but I mean, when you really think about that tone of humor, outside of people that, you know, were like, you know, kind of hell bent on killing themselves. Right, right. You know, in terms of comedians, like who, you know, who are the depressives, you know, other than, you know, Rodney Dangerfield and Jackie Vern, like who, like I know people are like Richard Lewis has depression problems. Right, right, right. But I don't hear it in his 
comedy so much, you know? Yeah, I mean Maria Bamford. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's just a that that is like a shattered vessel there. Yeah, yeah. Um, a beautifully shattered vessel. Of course, I love Maria. She's the best. But I don't know, man. I don't know who those guys are. But I think it's something that we we romanticize self destruction exactly, and yeah. we think it's somehow more authentic, right? And it's not. No, it's so not. No. And when you like when you almost pine for the, your tragedy or where's where's my defining moment and then it happens you realize you're like what an asshole i was to ever be pretending to be depressed <laughs> like what do you oh, like, like or, or just what like, would that be for you like what do you mean like the defining moment well i mean lydia like, oh, with lydia yeah, yeah yeah i mean what i guess i'm trying to say clumsily is that you think you're dark and fucked up until something really happens. Something and then you're like, wow, happens. you had it so good. You weren't dark and fucked up at all. Right. But now the, you are. <laughs> right. But like, you know, relative to like, you know, losing a limb or, you, you know, you know, you talk about a bit in the book about, you know, these horrible sort of events that happened in Colorado. Yeah, right. You know, the the mass shootings and whatnot, like to be part of that. But But the brain is a pretty, you know can be a pretty nasty place to live right absolutely and and it, it, it like i don't like i that's the sad thing about depression is like you know it, it isn't explainable and and like a lot of people believe that people who are depressed are somehow self-pitying or martyring themselves or just uh, you know can't but like people who have the real clinical stuff it's like terrible it is and it's shocking you know with this book i didn't want it to be this sad thing about Lydia, I wanted it to be a celebration of her and kind of a tribute of her because what was shocking about it all is, like you were saying, were there signs growing up? Not really, because we all had all the signs. OCD, yeah. anxiety, depression. We had all that stuff. It just never seemed as severe as it was for Lydia. But, you know, from 26 to 28, I watched that girl's brain just change really? completely. Really? And so the last two years, you know, she was there all the time. It was my sister, but then there was this dark doppelganger that was like, who the fuck is this girl? Were they just carrying that weight around? Yeah, and just being flaky in ways she hadn't been before and breaking down in ways she hadn't before. And it just came on so fast. And suddenly that by the time it was all done, it, it was just like, what the fuck? Just like a train just blew through our family. Yeah. You know, taking one of us out. And it was it was horrible <laughs> to watch. It was the worst thing ever, man. And there was no like substance abuse and tied into it or nothing. Well, she was going from shrink to shrink and getting. She was very smart, like truly very smart. Yeah. And I think she was outfoxing many of her shrinks right. and getting prescribed what she wanted. Right. And then getting that and going on to the next one. So you know, all sorts of anxiety medications, sleep medications. Yeah. And she overdosed twice on on pills i mean yeah you name it we took, on purpose well the first one i mean yes in hindsight yeah on purpose right the first one we believed her was an accident she got her medication wrong second one it was on father's day <laughs> nice nice father's day huh um that one you know I, I picked her up off the floor of her bathroom and we like took her to the hospital and that one was a mandatory psych hold for three days and you know, that was about a month before she killed herself, so. So, like, what what was she doing? Like, you know, your family seems, you know, from the parts that I read, like, they awfully tight-knit. Yeah. I call us in the book uh, the magnificent Kate and Hollins, I, I, and uh, somebody else said that about us, but I think there's always been a sort of Royal Tenenbaum-esque quality to my family. And oh, yeah. What's your mom do? She was a journalist. She was an investigative journalist oh, for really? years. Oh, really? Huh. That's how she met my dad, writing about one of his cases. Uh-huh. 
Um, but they were just kind of badasses. And yeah. then my sister Anna, you know, she's a hot. She's a great civil rights lawyer. But growing up, she was a big figure skater, Olympic track. You know, just impressive children. What about you? What'd you do? Ah. <laughs> Come on, <laughs> found comic. my way to dick jokes. <laughs> no, but like when you were growing up, what was your what did you what was your trip? I was pretty. You know, I played soccer and baseball, but I was big into comic books. I wanted to draw comics. Oh, you are. Yeah, but not like cool Which Avengers, ones? like you know. Calvin and Hobbes. That was my. Oh, really? That was my. Kind of want to do a daily strip kind yeah, of deal. Yeah, and I would read every manner of garbage comic. I liked Archie. I, it didn't matter. Like Sunday paper, I'd read every single comic. Did so you, I wanted to do that. Did you draw? Yeah, I drew really well till about like seventh grade when my abilities just stopped there. <laughs> and I was like always one of the best in the class. And then something about eighth grade, everybody turned a corner that I didn't turn. Really? really? You couldn't. You I, couldn't uh, I put the pen down. Perspective? No. Something yeah, exactly. <laughs> when people started doing this 3D stuff, I was like, I'm out. I'm, I, don't, I don't understand <laughs> this at a, all. That's a box. It looks like a box. How do you do that? <laughs> Keep me in like the Flemish era. I can do the 2D. <laughs> yeah. Medieval. Right. So, uh, all right, so seventh grade, you give up your career as a comic book yeah, artist. Yeah, it's a big loss. And then what, what was the interest? I mean, I started in high school writing um, yeah. and like humor writing. I remember picking up an onion like it was a religious oh, yeah. experience. Right. They were in Madison, and one of the first places they distributed outside of Madison was Boulder. Yeah. So Colorado kids got it a little earlier. Oh, yeah. And I was on the newspaper staff, and I was like... I remember the first article I ever saw was like Christ returns to the NBA and it's just Jesus dunking <laughs> and my brain did somersaults. I was like, you can do this. And so from then on out, that high school newspaper was just our little onion copycat. Yeah. Like, we, we went nuts. And then in college I did the same thing, like wrote a humor paper. And Where'd you go to college? Wesleyan. Oh in, yeah. Uh, in Connecticut. Connecticut. Yeah. I was classmates with Lin-Manuel Miranda. Yeah. So I'll never be the most famous alum from Wesleyan University. No, you got ways to go. Yeah, I got ways to go. Yeah. This is a good start. Sure. I've I've talked to him. He's a great guy. He's a cool guy. I knew him, but he, you know, I knew him and and everyone knew he was very impressive. Are you the same age? Yeah, same class. Oh. Um, But he was also like the theater rapper kid. Yeah. Which couldn't have been farther from where I was at. So I respected what he did, but I was like, our circles didn't interact. I was. What were you doing? Drinking and vandalizing. I, I got. I almost got expelled from Wesleyan. That was. That's when I was depressed, man. Yeah. That's when I was most depressed. But do you feel like when like uh, it was different as you're heading out of high school and you're? Were you a comedy fan in high school? I was, but I'm not your typical. I was more like comedy movies. You know, not a stand up. Not a stand up. I uh, never watched stand up growing right. up. Never. Huh. I mean, as far as I was concerned, the only stand-up I knew was like Uncle Joey on Full House. I was like, he did stand-up, right, on Star Search? <laughs> yeah. I didn't really yeah. worship at the altar of comics. But you like The Simpsons. I love The Simpsons. I so love- you're a full-on animated guy. Yeah, I was a comedy nerd. I was yeah. just- Not uh, stand-up. Not stand-up. And that, I don't know, I just found my way to that organically, but yeah. it wasn't something that I pursued. Kind and of fell ass backwards into it. So now like- when you're going to college, your sister's already in law school, right? The older sister? No, Anna was at Wesleyan. I followed her to Wesleyan. So she was just a couple years ahead Two of you? Two years ahead of me. And where was Lydia? Lydia was four years below us, so she's back in Denver and still in high school. And what's she doing? Is is just- Dying her hair blue, oh, playing yeah. instruments, being oh, a little yeah. punk rocker. Oh, okay. Yeah. For me, it was like, truthfully, when I graduated from high school, I was 
everyone's like, hey, that Adam Caton Holland, he's, you know, number three in the class, editor-in-chief of the paper, soccer player. Like, that's a that's a good kid. Yeah. Keep your eye on him. And then I went to Wesleyan. Who's and saying it, that? Your head? or the, I think I think I was, there was a lot of pride. People were proud of me. Okay, I, was a, I was a son of Denver, okay. off to do good things at a good school. Oh, good. And then you get to Wesleyan, and there's Lin-Manuel Miranda's running around. Right. And She's you realize rapping. you ain't shit. Uh-huh. And so I think that I think it was just an ego check. Oh yeah, that nobody cared about me or thought I was great or any of that. Yeah, got so that kicked. just sent me down a rabbit hole, man. Soul got kicked in the balls a little bit, big time. And you just what crumbled? I did. I didn't rise to meet <laughs> it at all. I was. I just started doing drugs more than I ever done, and drinking more than I ever done, and and vandalizing like a lot. What does that mean? Vandalizing? Well, I know what vandalizing means, but give me some examples. Well, the reason I got. Almost expelled was I broke the president of the university's like office window. I shattered that with a big stick in the middle of the night on purpose. On purpose, with by yourself or with others? With, by myself. Oh wow! I was you weren't even up. out to impress. No man, <laughs> I was just out to make noise. Uh, but it was two years of that dumb shit, knocking over, breaking windows, knocking over the ticket booth at the football game every day. So like eventually it again exploded. by yourself. Or with friends sometimes. Oh. It was just anger. I, I just wanted to know whether or not you're just this weird kid that you know, nobody understood. I think it was a see something, say something for sure. I was spinning out. Yeah. And I was very depressed and I was somewhat suicidal. What were the drugs? Coke. Yeah. Acid. Acid. Yeah. 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 I also had this- Where'd that get you? <laughs> did it help? I, I went to a fish concert in downtown New Haven and did acid and still was like, I hate fish. <laughs> <laughs> and I left. I left and wandered around downtown New Haven, which is no party. No man, downtown New Haven. Yeah, that was that was can get a little hairy in some places. Doing dumb shit like that. Yeah, uh, well, that's college in a way of a certain kind. Sure, know? sure. But I the way I was doing it was reckless, and there was a bit of a death wish to a lot of it. And you were actively suicidal, like in yeah. your head, like you yeah. Know, like, but did you feel that it was a? Uh, a, bi- a biological thing, or did you were you uh, you know genuinely like you know lost or like frustrated like uh, with your life? I was frustrated with my life, and I couldn't sleep at all. Mm. So I would wake up in the middle of the night and like walk around the campus like yeah. a ghost, and just it was just sad. It was a dark spot, man, and I couldn't really see a way to pull myself out of it. Were you writing? I was writing like garbage poetry? poetry and shit. Yeah, I mean, truly trash, wannabe, beatnik, awful shit. Well, that's what but you can. That's yeah. like what the college thing to do, right? Sure, of course. Yeah. I mean, that's what we do. I mean, right. I've got you know, I got some poems out there. I would love to read those poems. <laughs> I I think I've I don't know if I've made them available or not. Uh, well, I was at, I edited the literary journal one year, and I was in it another year, and but I, I found that I was doing those same things. That it sounds like you were doing mm-hmm. that. There, just so I can you know stay connected to you here like you know like but for me it was like you know who am i Mm -hmm. do you know what i mean like i didn't like i didn't really define myself in in high school with athletics or anything right so it was sort of like you know i got it like i did theater in high school i wrote for the paper or or not in high school in college i did drugs and i romanticize all those people sure and you know and I, i i don't you know i think that's sort of okay i think it's very okay for me it took almost getting expelled for which one? For the 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 breaking of the president's window was a culmination. How they fi- how they catch you in the act? How they? Oh, <laughs> I, thought, I thought you did it at night. You know? I did, but the there's public safety guy? officers out there, and I remember literally the glass was like raining down on me. It cut my face all up. And was this a political action? Not really, man. It was just me breaking shit. 
Uh-huh. I, I kind of knew it was the president's window, and I was like, that'll piss them off. Yeah. Who's them? I don't yeah. know. The people that are educating me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Those assholes. <laughs> Those assholes. <laughs> I should have gotten into Yale, God damn it. <laughs> Trying to educate you. They're going to pay. I got caught in the act, and then yeah. they kicked me off campus immediately, and I had to go. My older sister was there at the time, so she kind of showed her lawyer feathers. She accompanied me to every meeting. She helped me get out of that situation. She was an undergrad still? Yeah, she was a senior. I was a sophomore. And now, you, But she never once said, like, Jesus, what the fuck? Oh, big time she said, what the fuck? <laughs> I remember vividly there was this, every year there was a spring fling, the big yeah. concert on campus. I think Dead Prez was playing her senior spring fling. And we're sitting in a dean's office looking out the window as the whole campus is just partying. Yeah. And I'm in there and she's in like a Hillary pantsuit. Yeah. And she's like, you're such a fuck up. Like, I should be out there with my friends. Like, fuck you. And then she said, you don't say a word in there. You don't yeah. say a word. And I was like, and she t- all right, she big took sis. Care of it. <laughs> she took care of it. <laughs> and got you off? Well, I had to do like mandatory psychological counseling for rage issues and I had to do a bunch of community service, and I had to pay for all the damage, and I was on probation for the rest of my time at Wesleyan. What kind of community service? Well, I went back home to Denver, and I worked at a elementary school summer program with, you know. Oh, yeah? Poor kids. Did that humble you? The whole thing humbled me. Having it, And then I went away. It's so cliche, Jesus. Then I went and studied abroad in Spain. And it was like, oh, the world's bigger than me yeah. and Wesleyan. Yeah. And I came back second semester and I was like, let's not waste this opportunity. And oh, really? Did the second half of college a lot better. Yeah? Yeah. And what'd you end up majoring in? Film. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Well, that's good. Well, that's good. Like like film, uh, film analysis or filmmaking? Film studies, but yeah. uh, you, they make you make a couple films in there. So, oh, yeah? Yeah. Did, yeah. I did a couple films. 16 millimeter stuff. Funny stuff? Yeah. Oh, good. They, they were sketched. I made sketches. Yeah, you yeah. Yeah. But yeah, before computers with like actually cutting up the sure, celluloid yeah. and matching it's, the sound. Yeah, and, it was, those were uh, good skills to have, I guess. It was fun, but it was hard. I remember thinking like, there's got to be somebody I could hire that could do this. <laughs> I'd like to write these <laughs> and make these, but I bet there's nerds that can do this way better sure. than I can do it. Film editors. Turns out I was right. Yeah, plenty of them. Yeah, man. So like, but you didn't like, once you got through the, the tunnel, your depression didn't continue not really yeah. it was always a little bit there and i started going to therapy uh after college or after co- college um but then i dropped off i thought i'd had enough of it and well what about your older sister no no nah. depression she, yeah a little bit but not near anna's always been the hero like she's been sort workaholic of, yeah and just impressive and yeah. smart as a whip and lydia and i sort of followed anna i followed anna to connecticut I followed Anna to Chicago when she went to law school. I started taking classes at Second City. I followed Anna back to Denver. She bought a house in this neighborhood. I bought a house in that neighborhood. Like, what Anna does, I do. I, I copy and you're, her. you're close. You were very close. I just bought a house a block away from her. She's got three kids, and so... Oh, that's in sweet. The, in the wake of Lydia, we've become way, way closer, too. It was a rivalry growing up, me and Anna, but uh, now there's no, yeah. no rivalry. And you're old now. Yeah, yeah, and she won. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, you were in Chicago after college? Yeah, so after college, I was fucking around, and I just was like, I'd like to do something in comedy. I knew Second City was a route to- But you went to, co- uh, to Chicago because your sister was there. She was there, and I was she like- She said it was a cool city. And yeah, like, and she said I could crash on her floor and take classes at Second City. So I took some sketch comedy writing oh, yeah? classes, took improv and hated it and was bad at it. Uh, and started going to open mics and just watching them and was oh, intrigued. See, you had the bug. I had the bug. And then yeah. I went back to Denver, got hired for the, by that newspaper because yeah. I was submitting shit to them. 
And that's when I started doing stand-up. I met this guy, Ben Roy, who's on my show, best friend. And I just met him at a bar. Yeah. And he was like, I'm a stand-up. And, yeah. I, and that just demystified. I didn't know normal people walking around could be stand-ups. I thought right. they had to be guys in suits. Right, or it, they, they lived in different places. I thought they were television. anointed by like entertainment. Like, you, you're a comic. I didn't realize they were that just normal assholes. Right. And so I went to an open mic and watched some truly appalling comedy and came back the next week and have- At the Comedy Works? No, this open mic was at a dive bar called uh, Lion's Lair on uh-huh. Colfax. Real, real shithole. So that was it. That's funny that you were, you know, a bright guy, but you just never put it together. I guess there, you, you don't know what age you're going to get hit with. When the, did you start? When I was like 21, 20. I wish I, I, w- I went to school in Connecticut. I wish I'd started sooner. I was like, I could have been in New York hitting mics all that time. Well, that, but no, I didn't know how you did it. But yeah. you know how you know how anyone comes upon that realization that it's a human activity, right? Because it's like, how would you know exactly? Like it's like uh, when you first get interested in it, it's like, where do I start? Like now, like every idiot and their brothers a, a comic. I know, and there are mics all over the place. But at when I was coming up, it was just they were at the club. You had to go to the club and try to figure it out. I mean, Comedy Works let us in very early on. Yeah. So you'd go for a new talent night, but Wendy was always like, hey, if it's not sold out, you can sit in the back and watch. So we were there every weekend watching everybody. Oh, that's great. Greg Giraldo oh, and like yeah. so sad. Patrice and like. Oh, uh, another one. Yeah, man. We're just going to name dead guys? <laughs> Bill, Bill Burr was there. <laughs> I just remember those guys. Chappelle liked the, like Comedy yeah. Works a lot. So yeah. we'd just be in the back watching those dudes. I feel like that doesn't happen much anymore. Comics are like, I got to get a podcast. I got to get this. I got to get that. It's like, no, go to the fucking club and watch guys. I don't know. I, th- I think it, it does. Yeah. You know, especially in the smaller cities. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, uh, I, I was just in Salt Lake City. They come out. Wise guys? Yeah. 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 You know, they, uh, the comics come out and then the you know, guys live at the fucking store. Yeah. They watch everybody. That's true. Uh, I th- Yeah. I mean, when I really think back about my life and how, <laughs> how many hours I've spent looking at people in front of brick walls talking about themselves, it's kind of amazing. It's appalling, isn't it? No, it's, it's our <laughs> life. <laughs> it's just, it kind of is what it is. Like, it's so... There, it, there's almost like, um, for me sometimes, like I'll go into the original room or something and just sit there, and it's very calming to me. Like I know exactly what's going on here. I don't. You know, it's not like I'm not expecting to laugh or anything. Is, but it's sort of like this is, you know, this is the temple that I came yeah, up in. This is my church. <laughs> yeah. Is there anyone? I'm just curious that you're like that you still go watch, and you're like, I'd like to see what this guy's hours like. Um, I, I've always liked to see, you know, Maria work yeah. you know, when I can. I mean, I don't feel like, I don't find myself having a lot of time to do much of anything. Right. Um, but you, you know, I'll watch the, I'll watch people at the store for yeah. a, a minute. Like, you know, if Burr's up there trying to figure something out, that's always uncomfortable for a few minutes, yeah. you know? No, and, I like that though. It's like, we're always fans. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Oh yeah. Of course. Yeah. I used to like watching Al Madrigal a lot, but I haven't seen him in a long time. He just stopped coming to the store. I always like watching people I've known forever. You know, mm-hmm. Todd Barry, I can watch. Sure. You know. It's great. I feel lucky that like the guys that I looked up to are now my friends. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah. people are like, who are your favorite guys? And I'm yeah. like, my friends. Yeah. And that's a nice place to be yeah, at. Yeah, you like, you, uh, Patton, you know, uh, is a guy that, you know, you looked up to and then became friends with. He he's, uh, started coming to the store a little bit. Like, I'm a store guy, so I don't go anywhere. Else. The store is such a n- weird concept for someone who doesn't live in L.A. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's just, you know, I, I, w- I want to be up I at the store. Yeah, I've performed there but didn't i didn't say hi to me over there in the back yeah yeah yeah. i've performed but you know i don't have the time and i don't live here enough to put in the 
five years of hanging out to be a guy at the store. Oh, so you like do a belly room show or yeah, something? Yeah, right, yeah. right. Um, that belly room is its own thing. It is its own thing. The, the downstairs, those are the ones. Listen, I did a half hour for 12 in the belly room that people still talk about. Hey, man, like, you know, when I really <laughs> think about it, that those sometimes those half hours for 12 are the best. It was good. It was a lot of fun. Because, like, it enables you to sort of, like, get to a conversational mode to, you know, to sort of, like, you know, realize that, like, you know, these jokes are hiding me from these people. No, you're so right about that. There's <laughs> nothing to hide behind at all. Right. Your bullshit act goes away real fast. And that's kind of, like, that's an exciting place to be. Yeah, and terrible, because it's, it's terrifying. terrifying. Yeah, that's because, true. But then, like, you have to, like, you got to figure it out. Like, how how do I be funny in this moment? Those, you know, not on the paper. Those are mare and stool moments. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's going to take a while. <laughs> I'm going to lean into this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, oh he's sitting down. That must mean it's oh. going bad. That's that's when I used to sit down was when it was going badly. Really? Yeah, to counter... To, I didn't want them to think it was going badly in my mind. That's hilarious. So it's like a natural down. defense mechanism. Yeah, just to like like a possum. Just fall asleep. He's got one head, head, one head on his hand. Yeah, exactly. Uh-oh, two. Yeah, yeah. This we're is trouble. Bad. This but is trouble. It, but then it became like just the style. Then I just stayed there. It's great. It's kind of iconic, man. Yeah. I don't see many other people doing it. I know. People make fun of it. But what, are you going to run around? No. Fuck I, no. I've, I've done the running around thing. It's it's like it's a trick. I barely move on that stage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I... So, okay. So, like, in Chicago, though, like, that, like when you were in Chicago, you must have, like, gotten the bug to perform. Obviously. I did. Yeah. I mean, I was, like, in Second City, and I was going to Improv Olympics, and I was watching... Those two dudes that do the Sonic commercials, they're so funny. They're like improv geniuses. Yeah, I was, I was watching those there's dudes. Some old Chicago, there's some Chicago guys that are really good that never leave Chicago. I know, really. I know. They show up in movies here and there, but they're still- Because their friends are doing stuff and pull them in. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know. Chicago's a treasure trove. So yeah. I was watching everything I could. And then you go to the open mics in Denver, and, yep. when, and when you start doing sets- you know, like uh, like when you were watching all those guys, I mean, what what did you really take in? Who was the most, like, what, what were you aspiring to? I remember seeing Dana Gould. Oh, yeah. And I knew he was a okay. Simpsons writer, too, so that scratched that itch for me. But I was like, my God. Like, I remember watching him It's crushing. like watching the, watching the history of comedy. <laughs> you know, his skill set is, you know, joke writing, mimicry. Yeah. You know, like, you know, he Him does, doing a chimpanzee is the funniest damn thing. Yeah, he yeah. can do, like, he does all the things. Yeah, he really does. Yeah. And then when he has the meeting out of his hand, he's like, and now I will deliberately ruin all this goodwill and yeah. build it back up. So I remember yeah. watching him and thinking, this well, guy's they, a genius. Yeah, this is what I want to do. Yeah. Like, I, I want them to like me. I want to ruin it. Yeah. And then I want to see if I can get it back. And exactly. That, that should keep me a, a lesser known comic for most of my life. And, and it's worked. Yeah, hopefully I'll get a writing job. <laughs> Yeah. Nailed it. Swish. <laughs> yeah, I well Dana like well I think that one thing about Dana that obviously you would relate to is that uh you know the sort of darkness that he was navigating was very real. Yeah. And uh and and it was so like he he was like he's actually the one guy that when I asked earlier who were those guys? Mm -hmm. They weren't the guys that were killing themselves. Dana Gould is the perfect manifestation of depression. You know, on a comedy stage, like him and Maria, yeah, like are really what that looks like when you're fighting that fight. I think you're exactly right about that. Yeah, and you know who also I think does is one of my buddies, and I don't want to call him depressed, but yeah. Kyle Kinane. Yeah, he's definitely fighting real stuff ups there on stage. The little hobo <laughs> every time, man. <laughs> I think Kyle. I think there's an honesty to Kyle's stuff that I admire. I do too. And there's a uh, you know he's a very lyrical writer. You yeah, know, he's, he's like he's poet. A, yeah, exactly. 
yeah, I can feel that. You know, his is a little boozier than the other two. For sure, for sure. But Dana, like before medication, was really something to see. Like the sort of the mania of it, and but like some of the the, the writing for both him and Maria, like it's like they're you know they. They're taking that, you know, the tool of, of comedy and really going in. It's so interesting to encounter those comedians when you're doing comedy. Because I was at the club all the time. Yeah. And then I remember I got a, it was like that onion moment. I got in the mail at, at work in the newspaper, uh, this double disc invite them up compilation. Oh, yeah. And it was like, it, that was Eugene Merman, right, Bobby Tisdale's right. thing. Oh, the thing that, uh, it, it was in New York. What was it? Uh, um, Rafifi. Yes. Okay, Rafifi. Good, thank God. Okay. And then that was the first I'd heard of alt comedy. I know like you guys were doing stuff prior to that, but for me that was kind of like, oh, this is a, it's like I'd only listen to the Dave Matthews band and somebody's like, here's a Wilco CD. <laughs> and I was like, ah, okay, all right. That's interesting. That's when it happened. How old are you? I'm 38. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right, okay. Right. So, so, so that was, was it. You're like, oh, there is another world that this was your Spain moment with comedy. Exactly. Was the Rafifi double set. It really was. I remember the music editor, he's like, here, you'd probably like this. And I put it on. And it was like that scene in a movie where like the kid puts on his 70s headphones and no has his like mind blown. So that then I just set out to emulate that in Denver. Who was on that thing? I mean, so Biglia and Dimitri Martin and so, oh, so it was everybody weird, that went through there? Yeah, weird sketches by Michael Showalter and David Wayne. Yeah, and just there's a freedom. I didn't even know it, that existed. That uh, it's a double album. It's a double CD. No shit. Yeah, and I, it just really spoke to me, and it yeah. was it was so goofy and so smart. Yeah, that I was like, oh, this is what I want to be doing in comedy. So, and there wasn't much of an alt scene in Denver, so we just started making one. Okay, so did you tell Eugene that this did this to you? I don't think I ever did. I, I did his show a bunch. I, you know, sought out Eugene Merman, and I was, you know, I'm no, I'm not dumb, so I knew immediately you need to go to New York and L.A. and and be exposed. You can't just uh -huh. expect people to which, come to which Denver. Which show did you do? What did he have? It was called. It was called like Tearing the Veil of Maya. Oh, yeah, that's right. It was in uh, Union Hall. In Brooklyn? In Brooklyn, yeah. That's right, I remember. So yeah. I started doing that show as much as I, why do you look so sad about that? I'll tell you why. Um, <laughs> because like by the time I got out here, you, you know, be, be, you know, after we'd done Luna and everything else yeah. and, and, and things have sort of got away from me and it was the late you know 90s or whenever the hell it was the early 2000s where I just none of it mattered anymore uh, like things weren't working out really even though you know I'd been on Conan a million times yeah. whatever it, I was okay but there was still sort of like where do I fit in and I remember coming out here and feeling like man I gotta do all these alt shows You're right and when I go to New York I mean I gotta do them and I'm like older than everybody <laughs> You know, but it, there was me and Barry and, you know, Kenler and stuff. Sure. There was those of us who were of the original alt. But, uh, right. But, Wouldn't you guys be the originators of that? I mean, that Luna, sh I, I learned about this after the fact, but that was sort of the origin of all this stuff. Well, Luna was, and there was some guys out here. Dana did, Dana, there was the Uncabaret out here, which mm -hmm. is sort of back. And then there was another one that they used to do at a bookstore. Uh, out out here around the same time mm -hmm. with Kathy Griffin, Dana Gould, um, Beth Lapidus, and there was a, there was those venues starting at Largo, the original Largo, right? Uh, but you know they were just alternative stages to mainstream comedy clubs. But the weird thing, I just remember the Maya thing because at, there was a time where I, like I'd be like, oh my god, these people, this what is this precious shit, and I got to do this, <laughs> and like is this you know is this real comedy? Do and everybody seems so you know, clever yeah. and clean in a way, you know, and I'm just like, I was come from a different mindset. Yeah. No, I hear you. And I had to fit myself into it. It's all very twee. 
Right, and it always was, and I never saw myself like that, so I was always at odds with those audiences. Now I don't do any of them. <laughs> they're like, they're like, they're like the, the big graduation for me, you know, having come, when I come to LA, I'm like, I gotta go to Meltdown, I gotta figure out this shit. Right, right. You know, it's like, I'm going on to the store, but I guess I gotta do this thing. Like, I realized recently, it's like, no, I don't ever go to those places I know. anymore. Well, I'm very glad, and I think most comics should have exactly what you do, and what I did is like, I'm also at the club every weekend, right. making sure there's punchlines in this shit. Sure. So there's a you know the work and ethic play, and of being a club And you're playing for comic. real like audiences. Yeah, Bud Light chugging dudes. Yeah, like, it, like yeah, they're around, but like I don't love performing for them anymore. I know, but, I know. But you got to. I, I mean, isn't the goal just get to theaters so it's like your people coming out? That is the goal, right? And it is nice. But I remember the last time I was at the Comedy Works a couple times ago. I don't remember. Was that the week I was there? with you were that bridal shit? Where the oh god. Were the with the bachelorette party? I mean, I don't remember a specific one, but I've had twenty bachelorette parties at that club that just. Yeah. That club is so fucking hot. It's hard to fuck up that club. And there was like a dozen of these women and they threw one of them out. Really? Yeah, because like when I I have a like radar for that shit and before I went on I told the guy I'm like just fucking, you know, keep manage that. Yeah. Cuz like I got real fans here and I don't want to, you know, babysit them for fucking out. Yeah. And they threw someone out. And uh, at the end of the show, this woman comes up to me and she's like, "I'm the bride." And they threw out my mother. And uh, I just <laughs> Oh, that's great. She was so excited about the story, I think. Can but, I tell you my bachelorette story real yeah, quick? Yeah, it, was, sure. it was that comedy Take works. Take your time. It was, it was, they weren't policing a man. And I was just shutting them down cleverly time and time again, getting back into my act, but like having to go back and say something to shut them up t- 10 times. And I was like, why are they not kicking them out? I don't know if they were just asleep on the job. So I go into this bit that's like a five-minute bit. It's precise. Yeah. And, and you know, the punchline is at the very end. Oh. And I've probably, minute four, I see one of the women start get up, and I see her. She starts walking to the front of the stage, and I'm trying to, like, speed get it out because I've been working to land this plane. <laughs> and, like, I'm about to get out the punchline, yeah. and she just hands me a note, like, stepping on it perfectly. <laughs> She just hands me a note right at the front of the stage. So I open the note and it says, fuck you. <laughs> and so I, was, I just, I snapped. I was like, you're gone. Get out. All of you are gone. 86. <laughs> you did it? It was the worst. Oh my God. Had fuck you, been, you. Had you been fucking with them all night? Did you, yeah, I mean, did you, you had earn to. that fuck you? No, they just didn't like me because I kept telling them not to talk. Oh, right. Yeah. Anyway, comedy yeah, buddy. Yeah, it's great, man. That's a, that's a good one. There's a one like I. I wish I'd kept that note. I should have framed that. It's, yeah, I used to have one. I had a, a note somewhere that was like some. It was one of those, uh, you know, comment cards. Oh that, yeah, that, yeah. Basically, just said the other two acts were great, but get rid of Mark Marin. He's <laughs> not funny at all. <laughs> yeah, I love that. That's the thing about having that your foot in the real clubs and having you know the other foot in the uh, in the other place like I came up in real clubs you, you know you've worked real clubs that you know you just um there's that whole world that you that the sort of the fight the real fight it is and I think you lose something as a comic if you don't get in there and, and yeah. fight the fight well I'll go do clubs but I still think like even at wise guys a lot of those people were there to see me but I felt like there were there was some that weren't I just did that club it was great no it's great I was they're, impressed they're happier there man yeah they really were and like <laughs> Salt Lake, place, Salt Lake City hipsters just need it more exactly. so you get those people out there it's weird and they're, they're hipper than Brooklyn people you're yeah. just like wow I had no idea this was yeah they're really holding a line they now. really are <laughs> it's a it's a fight. It, it it's a total fight. So you're doing comedy and you're you're writing for the paper and you, you know you're working primarily you know in the alt scene and also in the comedy works yeah. when you can. So yeah. you're gunning for those opening spots. Totally. 
Like you're doing, you're working out your shit in the alt scene and then trying to get to be a feature act. hundred percent, right? yeah. Right. And and the alt scene was starting to kick ass. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, who's there? I mean, who guys who it? I have the show with. Ben, who made it out? Ben Roy, Anybody? Andrew Overdahl, Ben Kronberg. So, so when do you start to, like, you know, like what's your sister doing at this point? Like, you know, where are you at in your career when, when you when you start to notice that she's just not being funny, it's taking this other turn. Well, so there was this interesting period where she lived down in Colorado Springs where she went to college. And I kind of, after she graduated, she kept living there and Colorado Springs sucks. And we were all like, what are you doing? Come, come back up to Denver. Yeah. And I was doing comedy and she knew that, but I don't think she realized that we were doing kind of good comedy and it was fun and cool. Yeah. So she started coming to shows and I just remember her being like, oh, this is awesome. Like if I come to Denver, if I move home, can I like help you guys? And we're like, yeah. So like Lydia, you know, our, our shows were ambitious because we wanted to impress everybody. So, so we're you were hosting shows and putting them together? Yeah, and okay. we would show little sketches that oh. we filmed. And so you're really doing- It's a real- inter- uh, Bring them up Evening of entertainment. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. Copying that. And so she started working the door and helping me make flyers and running tech. And like she was integral in this show that became the Grolix, which is me and Ben and Andrew. And that went on to become those who can't. So Lydia's there. And, you know, and I would have these conversations with her. She and I grew up together getting our sense of humor off of each other. Mm. I found my sense of humor with her. And so when she came back to Denver, you know, I'd go out to breakfast with her the day after a show and we'd break it down. We'd like geek out about it yeah, together and, right. and like obsess. And, right. And you know, this guy ran the light. This guy wasn't funny. We shouldn't have him again. Like, right. And then she would help me go over my stuff. It's the type of intimate conversation you should only have with a comic. Right. But it was my sister who I found funnier than anybody. So right. she's like tagging stuff uh, and she's telling me to do this and that. And so she's a comedy She's person. a comedy nerd. And yeah. like, and then. But she's working. And she's, yeah. And so. I had her there for a while doing that. And yeah. it was really, I mean, the happiest I've ever been. It was really amazing. Yeah. It's pure. The yeah. comedy we were doing was really pure and exciting. Yeah. And she was there, you know, involved in all of it. Yeah. So that that was, you know, but then she started to break down a little bit. And then- What do you mean? How's that? Well, the first time she broke down, I was in Mexico with a buddy and I called my mom and I was just like, hey, how's it going? And she's like, well, Lydia had like a, a breakdown. And I was like, well, what does that mean? And she had been working at my dad's office just as a paralegal. She wasn't really fine. Yeah, she wasn't finding a career track. You so know, she was a little lost. Yes, big yeah. time. And you know, bouncing from working at an animal shelter to a restaurant to, but you know, we're this pretentious, educated family. So we're like, Lydia, you like animals? Why don't you go to vet school? You know what I mean? Right, it was right. it was that type of thing, a, yeah. an aimless twenty something that you're kind of like sure. pushing in these directions. So anyway, she was paralegaling for my dad, and my sister was there, and she just came in and said confessed to my dad she hadn't slept for days that she she can't her mind won't relax and she talked about how she couldn't read she was an avid reader and she's like I, I'll read a paragraph and I'll just scan it back and forth back and forth back and forth like I'm unable to like hop further along the page mm. and we're all like well th- that's that's weird but alright let's get you some help and started doing therapy and stuff but it was that was just the start of 20 calamitous events that led to her death and you know she'd it'd be 20 minutes before the show and i'm like lydia where's the laptop with the movie there's a line around the block what the fuck and she's not answering her phone or saying she's feeling socially anxious she can't go out tonight and so these flaky things started happening and you know i wish i'd had more empathy for it but at the time i was just kind of like mad at my sister's like get get your shit together you're blowing the show yeah 
And, you know, in hindsight, it's pretty clear what was going on, but... But was she bipolar? Later, I found out, yeah. Yeah. Because that's what it sounded like. You were kind of dealing with a little of that yeah. in college, that this whole not sleeping thing, but not being suicidal, just being like, Bleh! Yeah. I mean, she was di- bipolar. She was diagnosed with anxiety. Uh-huh. She had a lot of issues. So so, but so it, she's forgetting things, she's flaking out. Yeah. And she's not sleeping. And she's not sleeping. And she's getting darker, you know? Uh-huh. In a way that wasn't as the same way we'd been doing it like, our whole lives. Were there ups and downs? Yeah, like, yeah. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, she's really fucking funny and like kind of the same. Yeah. So there's these highs and these lows. And, and I, I, I mean, it sounds hyperbolic, but we were best friends. So She was probably at that show I was at. I'm sure she you. was at that show. I'm Wait, it, no, when she, I did the podcast, the no, podcast. She, had, she had died before that. Must not have been too f- long. It, it before. was right after that. It was right after that. Oh man, that's the crazy thing, man. Like, and I talk about it in the book. Ben Roy got to be a new face, and then the next year I got to be a new face at Montreal at Comedy Montreal. Festival. Yeah, and this, you know, for a Denver comic, this shit did wasn't happening. I got new faces in the height. You know, Lydia ODs those two times. It's this terrible summer, all this fucked up shit's happening, the Batman shooting, these wildfires, it's this dark summer, Lydia's ODing, and then I get new faces. And it's like this light, and I'm like, oh my God, and I go there, and it's incredible, and I come back, and two days later, Lydia kills herself. So it was just like, and and that's been my life for the past six years. So it was this incredible high, everything I've been working for, I kind of get it. I yeah. go there, I do well. Well, you talk about doing Conan for the first time after. Yeah, that. and but you know, then your sister's taken out, and you're like, I don't give a shit about any of this. But, but I think that the horrible thing that must must be the challenge to wrestle with is that they do get draining, they do get exhausting. It is annoying, you know. Even when you know, you, you know, there's still part of you that's sort of like, just get your medication right. Exactly. Just like fucking. It's so, it seems so uncharitable to say, but like no one talks about how a depressed person is fucking annoying and they only talk about themselves. Yeah. There's not a lot of, hey, how are you doing? Yeah. Coming out of a depressed person. Right. So it just drains you, man. You can't do it forever. And, and, and you can feel it. It's like there, there's something unspoken, oh, especially God. if it's family. Yeah. And you so, just walk into a room and you're like, oh, God. There's a cloud in there. Yeah. And we would pass Lydia off to one another, especially after the ODs. Yeah. You know, it's like I've been, I've done eight hours, I've done a shift. It's your turn, you know? Really? It was that bad. It's amazing that you're all so supportive, though. We're close, man, and yeah. even closer since all this. Yeah. It's weird, though, with this book coming out. I'm, You know, my parents are very nice. The one thing we've all tried to do is, like, allow each other to mourn however the fuck you need to mourn and not judge the way they're mourning, yeah. not get mad at mom because she's been down too long or not get right. mad at Anna because she's not talking about it. Um we just let it, each other do what we need to do. And, and unfortunately, I'm in this field where I need to share my thoughts and I needed to do this on some level. But I, book, you're I, a writer. I, I regret that, you know, people are going to come up to my mom in the supermarket and say, I read Adam's book. It's so sad. And, you know, it's the most intimate hurt that my family experienced. And I'm well, th- trotting you, it out there for public consumption. On the other side of that, this is going to be a very helpful book to a lot of people that experience grief and, and processing grief. I mean, it's you're not throwing anyone under the bus. No, here. You're no, just, of course. You, you, you're what you're saying is very intimate and candid sadness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. but it's also a, a necessary 
thing to for people to know that people get through it, that families get through it. That, for that, sure, for sure. And it's they, what, did, what did they think of it when they when when they read it? I gave it to them before I turned it into sure. the publisher, and I was like, "Anything you want changed, you let me know." They all like, you know, my mom gave me the nicest compliment ever. She said, "I read it in one sitting, and it felt like I was hanging out with Lydia." And I was like, "Well, that's that's good." Yeah. So I gave my mom an afternoon with her daughter. You know. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and how did it turn out that you you were you found her Lydia yeah well you know she she I lived right by her mm. and it was terrible man I the, I came back from Montreal Andrew the other member of the Grolics and the, my show those who can't he she he calls me and he's like hey man I saw your sister at the bar last night she was like acting crazy got in a fight with her boyfriend guys and it was just like like it was insane it was an insane scene and I was like, all right, man, thanks for letting me know. And I called her up and she was started sobbing and she was so, she was just really bothered that people would be talking about her like your sister was crazy. I, yeah. And so she just started wailing and crying. And so I, I was like, I had, hadn't slept. I'd been up at Montreal all night. And, but I was like, all right, let's go. As I drove over to her house, I picked her up, I took her, she was only eating Belgian waffles for the yeah. last like two weeks of her life. I took her to this Belgian waffle spot and, just tried to dust her off a little bit, yeah. you know, and yeah. and I was, went, I did the best I could. I went home, I went to sleep, and talked to her that night, and then the next morning we get a text, it just says "love you all," and that was it. And uh, and so Anna was like, "Well, that was disturbing. You should go check on her." So I was like, "Yeah." So so I did, and yeah, it was you know quite the fucking scene, man. Um, but. It's weird. I've it's a it's a disturbing. The way you, you describe it is is pretty uh, amazing in the book. Oh, thanks. Like you know the, everything that was going on in you when you found her her body. You know the you, you know coming. You know that that idea that you you hear that you leave your body but yeah. you didn't. Right. But then eventually you sort of did. Yeah. Exactly. I thought it was really uh, beautifully written that part. It's a rough thing. And then when, thanks, man. And then you know yeah how you described your your mom's reaction when she came and yeah. know, all of that. Yeah. It was just fucking awful. But in a weird way, I, I get in. You know that that memory was real bad for me, obviously. And it was like it start. I started having flashbacks and nightmares and stuff. And I had to do this kind of aggressive PTSD therapy to. EMDR? It, the EMDR. It worked? Yeah, it worked like <laughs> gangbusters. No kidding. That's great. I'm a big believer in that shit. Yeah, I've, I've done a little bit of it. Have you really? Yeah. Did it work for you? I think so. Like, it wasn't as tangible. My mm -hmm. Whatever my my post-traumatic stress is right. from my childhood was not related to one incident. A specific thing you're yeah. trying. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, I, I think it did help. Yeah, I, I really... I, I went to a couple therapists before I found that EMDR, and they were also pitying and they were all just like oh my god and you know just sitting it and yeah and, and just being empath like over empathizing like trying to show me how much they felt my pain and i just resented it and then i, I went to the emdr woman and she was like you know i deal with people who've been sexually abused i deal with like literally like african children of war i yours is a very sad thing but let's just get to solving it buddy. How, how, Not, many, how many sessions i can't remember eight nine yeah. ten um, at some point I just kind of was done with it huh. and, and she, I was just, you know, you go in there and you put these electronic pulsers in your yeah. hand and they tick tock back and forth simulating REM where apparently, which is when our brain best process memories. And then you just go through it 
And so every and, and it was amazing because the memory would get more vivid and I would remember more things. Uh-huh. And she would make me go through it again and again and again. How and long I, after the event did you do it? Probably like six months afterwards. Uh-huh. There was a bad six months before that. Um, well, you just couldn't get it out of your head and there was... Yeah, and I was... We sold our TV show. We filmed a pilot. I'm on the road, and I and I'm just hating everything. Like nothing's fun. I broke up with my girlfriend, who's now my wife, because I I even remember telling her I was like I can't be happy. I can't be hopeful. And, and this like, was all because of Lydia. Yeah, I just wanted to like, I just I wanted to throw in the towel. <laughs> you wanted to die. I think so. But but did you feel like you failed her, or did you just Lydia? Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. You name it, I felt it. Like I anger at her, especially for like what she did to my parents. Yeah. And um but then failure, the feeling that we failed her. And gradually, you know, acceptance of it. And and not, and and through a lot of work, the ability to not just remember the fucked up last 2 years, but to remember the great 26 before that right and that was it sounds so simple that was a coup for me right <laughs> to get to that point yeah because the darkness it, it, has a way of outweighing everything that sure. happened before so this process of writing the book and celebrating her life up to that point and then you know documenting your movement through your feelings was a uh, you know a, 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 the sort of the final uh, phase of your grieving. I think so. I mean, the book's utterly selfish. It was like, I got to deal with this shit. I didn't write this as a self-help or, and it's not clean. I don't land. And then comedy saved my life. <laughs> like it's just messy, yeah. but it was me getting it out. I was never, uh, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on it, but I never talked about it on stage. I just couldn't, I didn't want to. It felt, it's interesting. It felt beneath her in some way. Oh yeah. And I don't disrespect the form, but at the time, I wasn't quite headlining. What am I going to do? My ten minutes in the middle of the show and unload my suicide bit? Like I just didn't. I had a block. I had a total block, and I couldn't talk all, about it on stage. Well, it's also you know, it's it's one thing to to sort of explore your own sadness uh, around life uh, in a suicidal way, but to, yeah, I it would, you know, unless you're really willing to sort of flesh something out. You know, the setup being my, you know, my sister shot herself in the head. You know, what? Right. <laughs> where do you go, man? <laughs> no place good. I remember I tried to do one joke and it bombed so hard, but I was, I was like, it's hard to tell jokes about suicide. Yeah. It's hard to write jokes about suicide. It's like writing jokes about suicide is like doing a modern dance about the Holocaust. We all know modern dance never existed. <laughs> it's just like fell oh, right. flat on its face. Well, that, I was well, like, that, you know. But that's interesting about, you know, your style of uh, of comedy. I mean, you're a joke guy. Yeah. You yeah. know, so, you know, like, in, but, you know, smart joke guy. But, like, there, there, there's a way to, like, um, like, in my mind, that the, the, the funny place to go with the modern dancing is that, like, you know, can the challenge of art to overcome anything? Right. You, you know that. Right. You know, I'm sure there has been modern dances about the Holocaust in, that were reactions to the Holocaust. I'm sure there have. But but what did that do? Right. That's <laughs> <laughs> didn't solve anything. Exactly. <laughs> you That's know, great. But but then you get along if you then if you go down that route too long, then you start thinking about your book and everything else. Like none of it means anything. Right. Then you're right back to the fucking darkness. Right. Exactly. The Nietzsche. Yeah. 
I, you know, I, I don't know why. I, uh, lately, I've been talking about it a little bit uh-huh. on stage, uh, but uh, but it's clumsy and it's like almost a PSA I do at the end of the show to sort of like talk about mental illness and if you're needing help, like reach out and it's cool. But I have a few jokes in there, but it's not this well-crafted anything, but it is an acknowledgement. But I think what what's interesting in the book is like using bits and pieces of her texts and, you know, like getting, you know, how you set up this personality mm-hmm. is that, you know, I think the way to really deal with it on stage is is in the same way you dealt with it in the book is celebrate, you know, her, you know, and, and then you know, knowing, you know, finding the things she would appreciate you talking about if she were uh, uh, watching you. You're now. totally right about that, and that, <laughs> that would be the 100 percent the way to go. It's it's a bummer in a lot of ways, but she would be so blown away by all the shit that's happening because she was a comedy nerd. Sure, right, I got a TV right. show. What right. are you kidding me? Like yeah. I, she would have been in that writers' room in love and life. Yeah. So you know, it's she. Yeah, to think about the things that she was watching me do. Yeah, is a good way to think about it. That, that makes me happy to think about. It. Oh, good. Yeah, and and also like I, I I imagine that on some level. Well, maybe it, because it was so weird that it, it just happened, like her brain shifted in just this two-year window. But on yeah. some level, were you got were you half expecting it? No, and really? isn't that weird? Because I look back at it and I'm like, how the fuck did we not see this? Two, two overdoses. Mm. She's complaining all the time. She's she's never saying she wants to kill herself, but she's saying she wants to sleep through the day, all, right. all day, every day. Right. She's just trying to be asleep. Right. You know, which is is that's dead. Yeah. And. But I never, and that was really what really was the hard thing. I, it was a betrayal, and I never thought she would do that. And I thought if she was really there, that we were close enough that she would tell me. Right. And so that, like, hurt, because I could have been like, I can help you. Yeah. Um, or try anyway. So that was, that took a lot. I don't, I'm no longer mad about that. But at the time, I was like, you lied to me. You yeah. lied right to my face. Sure. Repeatedly. Yeah. I asked you, are you going to kill yourself? No, no, no. I'm just sad. Okay. All right. You just straight lied to me. Yeah. And so that's that's a rough one for yeah. somebody who's like you're yeah. that close with, you know. But but now, uh, so the family's gotten tighter and everyone's sort of in touch and processed yeah. most of it. I, I mean, you know, it's yeah. hard. It's yeah. never, I feel real bad for my mom and dad. Yeah. Um, and I, f- I feel bad for all of us, but yeah. we're all- we're all at a better spot. Like I was telling you, July sucks. Yeah. And this something about this July was a little easier. I don't know if it's six years. I don't know what it was. Yeah. But it's almost like I had to choose to go get sad on those days. Yeah. And I did. <laughs> but I. Uh, but it didn't just hit me like a wave right, that right. morning. Like, fuck, today yeah. was the well, day. Well, it's nice when sadness is a choice. Yeah, right? <laughs> and not a way of life. <laughs> exactly. It's like the uh, angst I was talking about as a young man that I could choose to go find that angst. Sure. Yeah. It's, sometimes it's good to uh, to have uh, to check in with your feelings. Now, do you have kids now? or No, my wife's pregnant. Oh, graduation. Thanks, man. We're due in November. Oh, well, great. Yeah. Well, you know, great job on the book, and, and I'm glad you you seem well, and I hope the TV show comes back, and uh, you seem you seem pretty good. Thanks, man. I appreciate that, and uh, thanks for having me on. Like, this, is, uh, this has been great. Good talking to you. You too. That's that. That was me and Adam Caden Holland. Heavy but good. Uh, Tragedy plus time. The memoir is available wherever you get books, and you can get his comedy album. Adam Caden Holland performs his signature bits on Comedy Central Records. You can also go to WTFPod.com to get tour dates, to buy one of the new T-shirts, and also to sign up for the WTF Premium Access. That'll get you all of our archived episodes. 
um, which could come in handy when you're alone or feeling sad or just uh, looking to distract yourself. So, all right. Okay. Heavy but good. Heavy but human. Um, I'm going to play some a little bit of guitar. I've been listening to a lot of Lightning Hopkins lately. sloppy because I'm trying to do the two finger thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm working on something. So, it was real. Why can't I stop that buzz? There you go. <laughs> 